Well, good morning again, RCC, and I want to welcome all of our campuses to our second part in our series, Fully Alive. And last week, uh, Gavin Adams, he kicked off this series. And let me just say this, if you were not here, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the talk that he did, because first of all, he is an amazing communicator. Isn't Gavin just an amazing communicator? Absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's right. All our campuses... Give it up for Gavin. Uh, he loves this place, and uh, I'm glad you guys love him because uh, it just makes a great combination and team. And uh, the other reason you need to go back and listen to it is because of this. It sets a very important foundation for this series, and you don't want to miss what he laid out. In fact, last week, one of the things that Gavin did is he challenged us to think about our lives on a number line with like the scale being zero to ten. Now, understand, we, we know that life is not that simple. Probably this is oversimplifying it. But to make the point, I want you to think about it this way again today, and that is this. If we could plot our lives somewhere on this number line between zero and ten, with zero, like, everything is bad. I mean, everything is like as bad as it can get. I mean, your life is like a country song. Your wife has left you. Your dog has left you. Everything except for the cat has left you. And that would be like a zero for sure. And if you're a first-time guest, I just have someone on our host team tell you why the end so joke about that is on all of our campuses. But anyhow, so here, here's what that would be. If everything's left you except for the cat, that would be like fully dead, right? I mean, you, you just pretty much were like, okay, I, I would rather die. You know, but you just, this is not a life. Now, on the other end of the scale is this thing called a 10. And a 10, like if you would scale your life there, a 10 means everything is wonderful. Everything is amazing. I mean, like your children are perfect. I mean, your spouse thinks the sun rises and sets on you. I mean, your boss and your coworkers, they just absolutely love you. I mean, everybody around you, they want your life. I mean, people look at you and they think something like this. Man, if I could just experience the life that you're experiencing, if I could just have the life that you are living, that would really be living. Now, if you would put your life on this part of the scale as a 10, that would be what we call fully alive. I mean, that's just like really living. Now, here's the thing. Between zero and 10, anything that is like less than a 10, what we're calling that in this series is partially dead. And the reason we're labeling it partially dead is because here's the thing. Whenever you talk about your life and the difficulties of life, most of the time we talk about how things, the difficulties, you know, the, the problems in our life, we talk about how they're taking away from our life, hence the term partially dead. Now, here, here's the big thing. If, if partially dead and fully alive were both options for your life, if both of those are options, partially dead and fully alive, if they're both options, which would you choose? And here's why that question is so important for us to ask ourselves. Because most of us, we think that, here's, the, here's what we think. We think partially dead is our only option in life. But in this series, if, if we could convince you that fully alive is fully available, here's the question. Which would you choose? Partially dead or fully alive? I mean, think about it. On all of our campuses, let's, just, let's all participate in this. If you, if you believe for a moment that you could live either partially dead or fully alive, which would you choose? How many of you would choose fully alive? I think most everyone on all of our campuses, right? We would all choose that. 
But as we said last week, most of us, here's what we do. We find ourselves somewhere between zero and 10, and we find ourselves somewhere in this whole thing of like less than fully alive, somewhere on the scale of partially dead. And here is the whole problem with that. We will never live fully alive if part of us is partially dead. Don't miss that. There's no way to experience fully alive in life if part of us is partially dead. Now, I don't want you to miss the key word in this phrase because the key word is this word right here, part. Now, now here's where most of us find ourselves, and here's what's most likely true about us. When you begin to think, when we put the number line up there, and you begin to think about where your life is on the number line, you start thinking about all the different parts of your life. And you take all those different parts and you put them all together and that kind of determines where you end up on the number line between zero and 10. I mean, I mean, even this, if, even if you have like a lot of 10s, but there are some like threes and there's some fours and there's some sixes, or, or maybe you're like even like a one in a certain part of your life. Maybe, maybe the area where you're a one, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's like some kind of anxiety or worry thing that you have going on. Maybe it's like your physical health and your fitness, or, or maybe it's like your bank account, or maybe that one is even your relationship with God. I mean, think about it this way. If all the other areas of your life, if all the other parts of your life are like working really well, and you could say they're a 10, but if one part is not working well, and it's like a three or a four or a one, we're not experiencing fully alive. In fact, if one of these parts is not working, what, what would we call that part or what could you call that part? Well, here's the thing. According to Jesus, which we learned last week, you should call that part a thief. It's a thief. It's a thief because it is robbing you of what God really wants for you and that is this, that you are fully alive. Now, here's the truth about most of us as we start talking about what that thief is. Most of us, we think we know what the thief is. See, we think the thief is like a person. We think the thief is like our job. Or we think the thief is our boss. Or we think the thief is our children. See, we think the thief is where we live. Or we think the thief is where we, what we drive. And, and all of those things that we might mention as the thief is they're part of the answer in some way. Because they're like part of a, like a surface level symptom of a much deeper thief. And so that's kind of what we want to dig in today is what is that much deeper thief that is really keeping us from living fully alive? Because see, to live fully alive, you have to dig deeper than just the surface level thieves that most of us look at. Because see, below the surface level thieves that most of us look at is the real thief. That is robbing us. See, there is a thief. And it is literally killing and destroying, for most of us, our ability to experience life to the full as Jesus wants us to experience. Now, to understand what this thief is, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at several passages from the second book of the Old Testament. So if you got your Bible and you want to follow, follow along there, just open your Bible to the second book. It's the book of Exodus. Or if you got your phone... 
and you want to follow along on your Bible app, go ahead and hit that Do Not Disturb silence button, whatever's on your phone, and um, go ahead and pull, and pull it up, and let's, uh, and let's go together on this. Now, let me give you a little bit of background about the book of Exodus. Toward the end of the book of Genesis, Israel is becoming a nation. And because of a great famine, they end up, the nation, or the the descendants or the Abraham, or excuse me, Israel, Isaac and Jacob, those guys and their, and their sons, they end up in Egypt. And they end up in Egypt and they start forming, basically Exodus, kind of the story of the nation of Israel forming, and they're just multiplying and they're growing, and Pharaoh becomes like really like threatened by that. And so he enslaves them. Because he's like, I don't want you to take over my nation, so he enslaves him. And so Exodus is also the story, basically, of the, of the nation of Israel becoming enslaved to the Egyptians. But that's not the only story that's there. It's also the story of them being set free from slavery. slavery. And here's why this is so important for us. Exodus is really the story of, tr- of God trying to make a nation, the nation of Israel, fully alive. But here's the problem. They can't seem to get past looking at the surface level circumstances in order to basically make make it to what God wants for their life or to experience what God wants for their life. So let me kind of catch you up on the story that we're going to look at today, and then then we'll kind of jump into that story. So when you get into the book of Exodus, there's another thing that's happening, and that is this. There's this story about Moses kind of as a sub-story. Because Moses is like born into this Jewish family, and at that time, all the Jewish peoples, we said, they were enslaved to the Egyptians. In fact, for 400 years, they have been enslaved to the Egyptians. But Moses, through like this amazing series of events, he grows up in the house of Pharaoh. I mean, it's an amazing story. It's such an amazing story, they make movies about it. You should read this. It's an amazing story. And he rises to prominence in Pharaoh's house. In fact, some historians, they think that maybe he could have been maybe the next Pharaoh. But then he falls out of favor with Pharaoh and he flees for his life. And so then you find Moses, he's hiding like for 40 years in the wilderness. And then God shows up after 40 years and he tells Moses, he said, listen, I've heard the cries. I've heard the prayers of my people as they've been enslaved. And he says, here's the thing, Moses, you're the guy that I want to go back and lead them out to freedom. And so that kind of gets complicated conversation between Moses and God because Moses doesn't really do it. But God convinces Moses through a series of events. And, and so Moses returns to Egypt. And Moses gathers all the leaders of the Jewish people. And I want you to notice what he tells them. And this is what God told him to tell them. He says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slave to them. And I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And here's the big part. And I will bring you to the land that I swore with uplifted hands to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession, I am the Lord. So here's what God is promising through Moses to the people of Israel. He's saying, listen, I know that you have been living less than fully alive. In fact, you've been living for less than fully alive for generations, for a long time. God knows, God is paying attention, and God wants you to experience a fully alive life. Now, as you can imagine, all the leaders of the, of the people of Israel, I mean, they're really skeptical of Moses. 
And then Pharaoh, I mean, he's not cooperative at all. In fact, kind of when Moses goes and he meets with Pharaoh, Pharaoh basically laughs him off. So God steps in, and some of you have seen this in the movie, um, God steps in and through a series of like 10 plagues, Pharaoh does what? He eventually gives up and he says, I'm going to let the nation of Israel go. And it's like over a million people, they exodus out of Egypt. They make an exit out of Egypt. Now, they exit, here, here's the, this is so miraculous, um, they, they exit with all their possessions, and here's, here's even more, they also exit with some of the possessions or some of the riches of the people of Egypt that the, the Egyptians gave them, saying, listen, here, take this stuff and go as well, which is an amazing miracle. Now, I mean, you think about this. For over 400 years, the nation of Israel, they have been enslaved, and, and now they're being set free. But here's the thing. Slavery is all they know and have known for generations. In fact, slavery has become so normalized, they didn't really know how to be free. And while they're excited about being set free, because they didn't really know how to be free, there is this theme that begins to develop through the rest of the story of their exodus. And this theme, in this theme, what's going to happen is we're going to learn what really is the thief in our life. We're going to learn something very important about ourselves, and we're going to learn what is the thief. Not just a thief, but what is the thief that can rob us of living fully alive. Now, the first time we see this thief is when the nation of Israel, they've made their exit out of Egypt, and they get to the Red Sea. And they find themselves with this really big problem because they get to the Red Sea and they go, okay, this is an obstacle for us. But then they look behind them and they see Pharaoh is coming after them. I mean, Pharaoh has like changed his mind about letting them go. He's angry. He's bringing his whole army with him. So you can imagine the panic that they're experiencing in this moment. Now, don't forget, don't forget, they're experiencing this panic, but God has just miraculously delivered them from Egypt and this Pharaoh through the 10 plagues. But in this moment, they forget that. And here is what they say to Moses. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? I mean, what have you done to us by bringing us out to Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, I mean, get this, this is the people who've been praying for 400 years to be delivered. Here's what they say. Look how quickly their tune changes. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? I mean, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. I want you to think about what they're saying. I mean, in this moment of panic, and we all have these moments of panic throughout our life whenever our circumstances don't go well or don't seem like they're going in the right direction. They're basically saying, listen, Moses, how could you be so mean to us? I mean, like, how could you bring us out here? I mean, how could you think this is such a good idea? I mean, it's like, how, how could you do that? I mean, think about this moment of panic. And here's why it's so important for you to think about it. Because in this moment of panic, we see the thief. This moment of panic, it reveals a deep-seated unbelief in that God has their best in mind. Now, here's what's interesting. If you read on in the story, what you discover is God parts the Red Sea, the nation of Israel crosses on dry land, 
The Egyptian army, they come along behind them and they try to cross as well. The Red Sea swallows them up, drowns all the army. And you would think at this point in time, after the miracles that God did to get them out of Egypt, after this miracle that God uses to cross the Red Sea, you would think that they would believe that God has their best in mind, that God is for them. But they're not fully there yet. In fact, I want you to notice what happens a couple weeks later. Notice what happens in chapter 16. It says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. And notice how quickly this changes. I mean, their attitude about Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out in this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And once again, can you feel the panic? Because their external circumstances are not going in the direction they think they should. So guess what God does? God does an amazing thing. God does this miraculous thing, and he sends this thing called manna, which is a form of bread or wafer in the morning to feed them, and then he sends them meat in the evening. It wasn't something necessarily they had in Egypt, but it was nourishing, and it was filling. And you would think, <clears throat> excuse me, that they would begin to believe that God really had their best interests in mind, that their best in mind, that God was for them. But notice what happens exactly in the next chapter, chapter 17. Notice what happens. But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children? And now they're putting the animals in it. Like, Moses, you're such a bad guy. I mean, first it was us, and now we're going to put us and our children, and now you're being mean to animals. Why, why did you bring us and our children and our livestock to die of thirst? And once again, they're like grumbling at God's provision or they're feeling of a lack of God's provision and God's protection for them. So here's the question. Well, what's going on with Israel? Well, why, did, why, did they, why do we keep finding them? Saying, oh, we wish we were back in Egypt when, when God is basically setting them free and saying, I've got a promised land for you. See, see, you would think at some point in time, with all these miracles that God is doing for them, that they would begin to understand that God is for them. See, at some point in time, you'd think they would think, well, God is going to protect us, and God is going to provide for us. But there was this constant thief that kept them from living fully alive. And they, like us, they think that thief is there less than ideal circumstances? Now, last week, Gavin introduced an illustration that, that Jesus gave that helps us to understand. This is why it's so important for you to go back and listen to last week's talk. An illustration that Jesus gave about being the, the gate to the sheepfold that helps us understand it's not our external circumstances that determine if we live fully alive or not. In fact, in that illustration, or at the end of that illustration, is a statement that Jesus made in John chapter 10 that brings so much clarity to the fact that our external circumstances are not what determines if we live fully alive or not, and that our external circumstances are not really the thief that keeps us from being fully alive. Notice it again. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief... It comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. 
I have come, Jesus referring to himself, that they, referring to you and I, may have life and have it to the full. Now, last week, we focused on the second part of this verse. I have come, Jesus saying, that you may have life and have it to the full. But working in opposition, in just forceful opposition to the last part of this statement is the first part of the statement, and that is this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And what Jesus is saying is this. God wants you to have life and have it to the full. God has your best interest in mind. And when Jesus is making this statement, he's standing there making this statement. He's going, listen, God has your best interest so much in mind that I am here to say that. I am here for you to show you what God is like and also to pay the greatest price that could ever be paid for your life. But he also says, but the thief is very real. And it was robbing Israel of life to the full. And it has the same potential to rob us of life to the full. In fact, here's what I would guess, just from my conversations with many people, and that is this, that the thief, the thief that we're not aware is the thief, is robbing most of us from experiencing life to the full. So some of you are sitting here going, okay, so Paul, tell us what the thief is. Well, before we do that, I want you to think about a couple things. If you could go back and you could spend time with the Israelites and you could ask them of what was robbing them of experiencing life to the full, I think you would probably find most of them saying something like this. Well, those are extreme circumstances. I mean, they were extreme. It was our external circumstances. I mean, they were less than ideal. Or some might would even say, man, it, it was Pharaoh. We were scared of Pharaoh. Or we were hungry. Or we were thirsty. I mean, it's like, they, they would say, the thief that was robbing us from living life to the full is less than perfect circumstances. And, and while all of those things are part of an answer, they're kind of a surface symptom, really. There is a thief that is much deeper than that. And before we say what the thief is, let me just ask you this question. What's robbing you of living fully alive? Now again, think about it this way. If we would go back and ask the Israelites, I mean, they would point to something like, hey, less than our ideal circumstances. We're like, we, we, we've been in bondage for 400 years. I mean, they might even say something like this. Well, it's Egypt. 400 years in Egypt. Oppressed in Egypt. You know, Pharaoh. Hunger. Thirst. All of those things make so much sense to us. And here's why those kind of things make sense to us. See, we don't think that it is possible to live fully alive when our surroundings are less than ideal. Don't, don't miss that. Especially in 21st century America. We don't think it's possible to live fully alive when our surroundings are less than ideal. So what happens, or what that means is, is we are thinking just like the Israelites. See, we think this. If I have less than perfect or ideal circumstances, then I can't live fully alive. And Jesus goes, no, that is so wrong. But we believe that. that that's why if we were to ask you this question you know, what's keeping you from living fully alive? I mean, you, you would come up with some answers real quick as well. You'd probably say something like this. My thief is my boss or my teacher or my kids or my parents or my wife or my husband or all this stuff that's out of control or, or maybe some friends that I got in my life. Or for some of you, it's that credit card payment that came in in, D, in January. Because you spend all that money trying to, you know, do, buy things for people that you really shouldn't have bought stuff at, at Christmas and 
Now you got to pay the bill. And you're going, that's my thief. Or for some of you, it's like your calendar. And it, once again, all of those are like good answers, but they're only like surface answers. Because here's the thing. Even if you would stop and think a little bit more about that question, you know, what is the thief that is keeping me from living fully alive? And you went into internal mode, and you look deep inside, your, your answer might be something like this. My, my thief is the fear that I have in my life, or, or the bitterness that I have in my life, or I just can't seem to get past my past, or it might be discontentment that you have in your life, or even anger, and your thought, man, I could put all the last year behind me, but I'm still carrying this anger, or you, you got this addiction thing, and you're like, okay, I'm going to start a new year, and I make this commitment to break it, and you've already, it's already broken you again. Or maybe it's this besetting sin. See, most of us think when our surroundings or when our emotions are less than ideal, that it's impossible to live fully alive. Because see, we see tension in our life as negative. We believe that any negative or any less than ideal circumstance, any kind of negative emotion, we believe that is the thief to living life to the full. But Jesus says, no, no, no. You, you can live life to the full, but you got to recognize and understand what the thief is. Now, here's what we don't recognize or understand, and that is this. In every list that we've put up so far, there is something that's common. There is a much deeper thief than the things that we've listed. And it's the same thief that was robbing Israel from living fully alive as well. So let's look at that question another way. What's really robbing you of living fully alive? What, what's really robbing you? See, for Israel and for you, I mean, it's not your less than circum, uh, perfect circumstances. It's, it's not those extreme circumstances that maybe you're dealing with right now. It's not that negative emotion or negative tension that you're experiencing in your life right now. It's a much deeper spiritual issue because everything in life is connected spiritually. It really boils down to this. It is a belief Israel issue. Excuse me. It's a belief issue. And just like Israel, and just like for me, and just like for many of you and all of humanity, our thief is our unbelief that God has my best in mind. It's our unbelief that God is for me. See, what's really robbing you, it's not your relationship, it's not your job, it's not your boss, it's not your kids, it's, it's not your parents, it's not your fear. It's not your less than ideal circumstances, it's not those negative emotions, it's not those negative tensions that maybe you're having to deal with because of some relationships. See, all of those are just symptoms of a deeper virus. What really is the issue is our unbelief. That's what's robbing us. That is the thief, the thief of unbelief that says, I don't know if God is really for me. I don't know if God really cares about what I'm dealing with. Now, now here's how we know that this is our thief. See, if you really stop and you think about the life of Jesus, Jesus lived in the same world we do. Think about that. He dealt with all the same kind of less than ideal circumstances. In fact, he was born into less than ideal circumstances. 
He understood what it was like to have extreme circumstances. I mean, he's in the wilderness for 40 days. He's tempted by the devil at an extreme measure. He even said to his disciples one time, he says, listen, you know, the birds of the air, you know, the animals of the field, they, they have places to lay their head. The Son of Man doesn't even have that. I mean, he knew what less than ideal circumstance it was. So he dealt with broken people. If you read his story, I mean, he's dealing with broken people all the time, demonically oppressed people. I mean, you think about it. He was given the same opportunity to fear in life, to be bitter, to be consumed by anger, to become resentful when people betrayed him, rejected him, or, or turned on him. But you know what? He didn't. And so Jesus was the model for us that you can live with less than ideal circumstances and still experience life to the full. See, nothing that we could quickly name as our thief is really our problem. It is our lack of belief that God ultimately cares about me in this situation, that God really has my best in mind. Think about it, folks. Our, our job is not our thief. Our boss and co-workers are not a thief. No, no, no. It's our lack of belief that God can use this job to work in and through me what he wants to work in and through me. Our finances are not our thief. It's, it's really our lack of belief that God will supply all the things that I actually need. The authority in our life, it's not our thief. I mean, it's our lack of belief that God is shaping my character through imperfect authority. Anger is not our thief, if you really stop and think about it. It's, lack of, it's our lack of belief that God will make all things right, that God will bring all things to justice. Bitterness, when you stop and think about it, it's not really our thief. It's our lack of belief that God has forgiven me completely, therefore freeing me up to completely forgive others. Now, here's what happens. And that's why this is such an uncomfortable talk in some ways. The thief... It's not easy to see or recognize in my life. And it's really uncomfortable to think about that what is really robbing me of life to the full is my lack of belief that God is for me in this area. That God has got my best in mind in this area. See, my unbelief in God's protection and provision in my life in this certain area. Now, when you really kind of stop and think about it that way, you kind of understand in some ways why Israel kept saying over and over again, hey, we just want to go back to Egypt. I mean, do you notice that in every, every passage that we read out of Exodus? It's like, we just want to go back to Egypt. Because see, even though they were living like partially dead in Egypt, it was familiar. And don't miss this. When something is familiar, you feel like you're in control. And when you feel like you're in control, you're not confronted with the fact that our deepest issue is unbelief in the fact that God is for me. See, sometimes it's just easier to live partially dead than to confront our lack of belief in God. So here's the truth we need to know today, and that is this. We will never live fully alive if we partially believe. Don't miss that. See, it's impossible to get to the life that God wants for you through partial belief. The only way to experience life to the full is not through ideal circumstances or perfect 
perfect circumstances. The only way to experience life to the full is through full belief. To trust God with my finances. To trust God with my spouse and with my children and with my job and my future. To trust God with the things, even emotionally, that kind of make me want to shrink back and, and continuing to live with unbelief but just stay in control of my life. See, the good news is this. You, you don't have to live partially dead. That's what Jesus was saying. You can live fully alive, even if you have less than ideal circumstances. There is a way, don't miss this, there is a way to activate fully alive in your life, even if you have less than ideal circumstances. There is a way to move partial belief into full belief. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. It is always uncomfortable, and it always requires us to do something or to give up something we don't want to give up. You know what that, that, thing, that something is? It's control. It's control. So the question becomes this. How, how do we fully believe? We activate our belief by actively obeying God. See, that's what fully believing looks like. And, and when you read that, you go, oh, that's pretty simple. But it's often uncomfortable. And sometimes it's painful to kind of let go of something in order to activate our faith. Because see, here's the thing you need to understand. Where I obey God in life is where I believe God. Where I obey God in life is where I believe God. Even in those difficult circumstances where I rejoice in the Lord always. Or I give thanks not for all things but in all things. See, where I don't obey is where I don't believe or I don't trust that God has my best. So here's what I want you to think about or begin to think about this morning. What is that area of your life that you're holding on to or you're holding back? That you're trying to stay in control of because you don't believe that God has your best interest in mind in that area. Because see, it's easy to name something that's causing me tension in my, in my life and saying that's my thief. It's easy to name a circumstances, but it's not my circumstance. It's not that negative emotion inside. It's just we don't believe that God has our best interests in mind. Not, and it's not because we're bad. It's not because we're wicked. We just don't believe that God has our best interests in mind in this area or that God is for me in this area. So we try to hold on and control this area of our life. Don't miss this. When we fully believe... We can live fully alive. Don't miss that. When we fully believe, no matter what our circumstances are, then we can live fully alive. So here's the thing. If you're sitting here today and go, listen, I know on this earth I'm never going to have perfect circumstances. There's always going to be extreme circumstances. But I want to live fully alive. So if you decided today that you want to live fully alive because Jesus said it's possible and he wants to make it possible in your life, you have to fully trust God, which means this. If I decide to trust God, something, you fill in that blank, will need to change in my life. And the question is, what is that for you? Because for each of us, that's a different thing. 
And I can tell you, for some of you, what you put in that blank, it's gonna be scary to just let go and trust God, to choose to say no to something in your life that you've been holding on to because it makes you feel like you control, or to say yes to God and obey him in an area where you have not been obeying him. But here is the promise from Jesus in John 10, 10, if you do. He's saying, listen, in the moment that you choose to fully lean into God and believe that God has your best in mind, even when your circumstances don't look like that. That is the moment that God will fully lean into you and make you fully alive. Because here's the thing that we need to understand. understand. When we say yes to God, God's faithfulness, it intersects with our faith and we experience fully alive. We experience the grace of God. We experience the peace of God. We experience the love of God. We we experience the long-suffering, the gentleness, the kindness of God. Don't miss that. No matter what your circumstance, no matter what the negative emotions that you might be feeling because of what's going on outside you, around you, the promise is this. In the moment that you choose to fully lean in and believe that God has your best in mind, even though you can't see it, God will fully lean into you and make you fully alive because in that moment, God's faithfulness and your faith intersect and you experience the goodness of God. Now, next week, we're gonna talk about how you live in that Every day. But here's our challenge for you today. That you'll say to God, God, here's my area of unbelief. I'm choosing to trust you no matter what. And I'm telling you folks, as uncomfortable as that may be, to just step out and fully believe, to fully trust that God has your best interest in mind, even when your circumstances don't say that. Here's the thing you need to understand. On the other side of that step, of choosing to believe that God has your best interest in mind is the promised land that God has in store for you. And I'm telling you folks, it is so worth taking the step. Which which means for some of you, I mean, you gotta let go of some control in your life, in a certain area of your life, and trust God. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you a tool that I've used in my life for years to work through this. And and it's a very, I mean, it's an important tool for you. So here's what I want us to do. On all of our campuses, Wakala, Bluntstown, Chipley, Mariana, everybody take your hands and hold them palms up. This is a tool that you can take with you. So please, everybody do this so nobody feels weird. Okay, so everybody on every campus, just do this. Now, here's what I want everybody to do on every campus. I want you to make a fist. Make a fist with both hands. That, that's, that's representative of the area of your life where you don't believe that God has your best interests in mind. That's where you're trying to control your own life. Now, here's what I want you to do, and I've done this so many times, so many different days in my life, and it's so free. I want you to begin to unroll your fingers and just say, God, here's my area of unbelief. I trust you no matter what my circumstances look like. Don't don't miss what I just said there. God, here is my area of unbelief. The area that I don't believe you got my best interest in mind. I don't believe you're for me. But I'm choosing to trust you no matter what my circumstances look like. Folks, I'm telling you, you got to let the position of your hand be a statement of your heart of placing your trust and faith in God. Because see, when you live trying to keep life under control, I mean, man, that's like balling up your fist and everything, just holding on. See, God can't move in to clench fist. 
God can't get in there. He can't get in that space. He can't do anything with it. But when you open your heart, which is reflected by your hands, and you trust in God, I'm telling you folks, you're not going to lose more. It's not going to cause you to lose more by opening up your hands to God. It doesn't mean tomorrow is going to be perfect or your circumstances are all going to get worked out today. But I'm going to tell you what it will do for you. You'll experience, as Gavin talked about last week, and we're going to help you understand how to live in it next week, the goodness of God in less than ideal circumstances. But you can only receive more from God. You can only receive fully alive with open hands that reflect an open heart. So what does it look like for you today to live with open hands that reflect an open heart, saying, God, I want to be fully alive, and my circumstances, they don't look like I'm ever going to be fully alive based on those, but I'm going to trust you in this area where I don't even believe you're necessarily for me, or you have my best interest in mind, but I'm giving up control today, and I'm trusting you no matter what my circumstances look like. And it may get worse tomorrow before it gets better, but I'm still going to believe that you have my best interest in mind, even though my circumstances say a different thing. What does it look like for you in your life this week, maybe for the rest of the day, to fully believe? You bow your heads with me on all of our campuses. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this moment when we all have the opportunity to begin to experience life fully alive. God, for some of us, there's one area. There's one part of our life where we're holding on tight. We have that clenched fist, and you can't move into that area because you can't move in to a closed part of our heart. Today, you're saying, just open your heart. Even though the external circumstances don't show it, I have your best interest in mind. Help us to believe that. Help us to say, God, I'm going to choose to trust you no matter what. God, all through this week, as, as, as you reveal more and more areas of our life, parts of our life where we're maybe partially clenched fished or fully clenched, trying to control because we don't believe you have our best interests, God, may we choose to live fully alive and just open our hands symbolically before you, saying, God, we're opening our hearts. Move in. I'm trusting you no matter what. God, I thank you for the opportunity, and I, I, I thank you for this series, and I pray that you help us all to take it seriously, and God, help us all come back next week and really understand how to live in God's goodness every day, even when circumstances get worse. To be able to trust you no matter what and live fully alive. That's what Jesus came and lived and died for, and God, it's why you sent your son to do it and to give us this message because that's what you want for us fully alive in a broken world and it's possible through you and we thank you for that in Jesus name, amen